everybody and welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. In 1972, French adventurer and scientist Michel Sifre famously shut himself in a cave in Texas for more than six months. What still clocks in is one of the longest self-isolation experiments in history. He meticulously documented the effects on his mind over those 205 days, um, and he wrote that He could barely string thoughts together after only a couple of months. By the five-month mark, he was reportedly so desperate for company that he tried to befriend a mouse, albeit unsuccessfully. Um, Though we may not be as isolated as uh, Michel Sifra was in 1972, I think we're all starting to feel the effects of isolation on our minds. So that gave me the idea to do this episode to... Uh, learn a little bit about the effect of isolation on on our mental health and just our health in general. So that's what we're talking about today. The primary source for this episode is an article from Trends in Cognitive Sciences by Zobach and Dunbar, 2020. So very recent one. So um, a lot of the insights from it were pretty applicable to what we're going through right now, you guys. So first, let's start with why social bonds are good for us. Um, We know we're feeling the effects of isolation. uh, And why is that? Well, it's because we are lacking these social bonds that that are good for us. Humans are a naturally social species, and we've evolved in group dynamics for all of our history. It was our social networks like our families, our tribes, or our communities that enabled us to survive throughout the years. So this is why social deprivation can cause stress because it's unnatural for us. And this is what we're experiencing right now. In times of distress, crisis, or disaster, human resilience depends on the richness and strength of social connections, as well as on active engagement in groups and communities. Um, there's now accumulating evidence that friendships are essential for health quality. So there's research that has examined 148 studies, uh, and this totaled 300,000 people in total, and they were looking to identify the common factors that unfortunately led to death. So in the case of death due to cardiovascular disease, the three factors with by far the biggest effect were one, the frequency of social support from others, two, how well integrated the person was in their social network, and three, whether the patient smoked. So we, we think a lot about smoking as, as uh, a factor for influencing cardiovascular disease, but we don't think about these other two factors that were also judged to be just about as important, um, and they were the frequency of social support from others and how well integrated the person was in their social network. So social networks keep us alive, essentially. The tighter someone is embedded in a network of friends, the less likely they are to become ill, is what research shows. Um, Also, the more socially connected you are, the faster you get better if you do fall ill, the quicker you recover from surgery, and the longer you will live, is what research has shown. So this is kind of the irony of all of this social isolation because we are isolating to prevent sickness but research also shows funnily enough that the more socially connected you are uh, the faster you get better and 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 there are going to be salubrious health effects the quicker you recover from certain things so although um, it is overall beneficial to 
be isolating right now. If we, if it wasn't beneficial, we wouldn't be doing it. And you see the numbers go down when we do that. But there is that irony there of um, how it, it does allow us to be more prone to fall ill if we do uh, perhaps catch uh, the virus or, or any other type of virus too. We are possibly more prone to get it due to all of this isolation. Um, so there's there's always two sides to every coin. That's what I like about doing these episodes certainly is because you i i as well as you guys hopefully get a little bit of an in-depth look at different things um where you may have thought that it was a one-sided thing but but then you see kind of different different aspects of each thing so that that's what i'm taking away from from this research i did today certainly is that um it there are effects on our health isolating so much too so um it's not perfect the strategy that that we have to to keep us safe what are the effects on our, our mind that's something that i've been noticing mostly i tend to mostly think about uh, the effects things have on on the mind i like psychology i like discussions about these things so let's talk about that so Isolation is known to be a major risk factor for depression, which itself accelerates functional decline and increases mortality rate. So here we have almost like an indirect link uh, of isolation towards um, negative health effects because isolation can lead to depression, then depression can lead to all sorts of different things. So I know a lot of people are struggling with mental health issues with all of this isolation. We all are to a certain extent. Some of us at subclinical levels, so if we were to go into the clinic, maybe it wouldn't be diagnosed as depression, but we still are feeling some effects. And some people at clinical levels where, yes, the depression was brought on by, by the difficulties happening right now. So, um, and, and research does show as well that even subclinical depression can increase risk of mortality. Depression may increase mortality and illness through several mechanisms, so... Um, there's extensive research on this, but we can just touch on a couple of these things. Depression can increase platelet aggregation through diminished serotonin function and thereby increase the risk of myocardial infarction and stroke. Um, so it kind of creates like a, almost like hypertension, um, and then this can increase your risk of stroke. Uh, there may also be an increased heart rate variability, so unstable uh, like an unstable nervous system that leads to this change in heart rate and in, that contributes to creating a more variable heart rate. Um, there may also be an increased release of adrenaline, and these things both lead to the increased risk of cardiac arrhythmia. So depression can really mess with um, the like your nervous system and the way, and hence the way your heart is pumping blood to the rest of your body. Um, by way of creating an, an irregular rhythm in your heart. So this is the connection kind of between your mind and your body. And, and you got to be careful of keeping your mind healthy because if your mind is not healthy, your body won't be healthy either and vice versa. Whatever the mechanism, the effect of depression on mortality is significant in size. Um, in a large cohort study done by the Cardiovascular Health uh, Network, Investigators found that depression increased mortality risk by 24% when they accounted for all important co-variables, uh, and individuals have been found to reduce their depressive symptoms if they join a social group, such as a sports club, church, political party, hobby group, or charity. 
And the fact that we can't do any of this right now, or maybe we can do some of it through, if it's through Zoom or whatever, but we'll talk about later in the episode on maybe Zoom and, and FaceTime and things like this are not quite as good as face-to-face interaction. But just the fact that we're not able to join some of these groups to mitigate the effects of isolation right now, we're in total lockdown, that is troublesome and that's problematic and that can lead to to depression um, at, at varying levels. Let's. We talked about how the mind can influence the body. Um, the health of the mind can influence the health of the body. Let's talk about more directly the body itself, the immune system, and how this isolation could be impact negatively impacting our immune system. And um, by the way, this is not an episode about how bad it is for uh, these policies of isolation to exist, but it's just the idea that these policies, they they do put strain on people. And I really wanted to dive into some of what this strain really is. So researchers found that social bonds stimulate the release of the body's natural killer cells, one of the white blood cells of the innate immune system, whose core function is to destroy harmful bacteria and viruses. So again, it's weakening your immune system when um, you don't have these social bonds, because these social bonds... Um, have been found to stimulate the release of the body's natural killer cells. So the more social connections you have, the better you are at fighting infection. Researchers also found that freshman students who reported feeling lonely had a reduced immune system response when they were given a flu vaccine compared to students who felt like they were socially well engaged. So more and more evidence of this these social connections helping your immune system, a connection that you may Uh, or I never even really knew existed, but uh, I was thinking about it more in terms of how social isolation is affecting the mind, but look at the way that it's affecting your body directly. In adolescence, lack of social engagement has has a big uh, effect on the risk of inflammation and lack of physical activity, or excuse me, in adolescence, lack of social engagement had as big of an effect on risk of inflammation as did lack of physical activity. So we, a lot of the time, think about, oh, physical activity is great. We got to stay active and this and that. But we don't think about, hey, we got to stay socially connected and socially engaged because social engagement has been found to have just as big as an, uh, an impact um, on, on, on risk of inflammation, as did physical activity. So if you're physically active as an adolescent, um, that's just as good as being socially engaged and vice versa. So um, it's an important thing that we just, we just do not consider. And in old age, it's a similar situation. So lack of friends actually had a bigger effect on risk of hypertension than the usually cited clinical causes such as diabetes. A lot of the time we think about, oh, uh, what are the impacts that diabetes is going to have? It's going to increase our risk of hypertension in old age. But what about lack of friends? And lack of friends actually was found to have a bigger effect on hypertension than diabetes. So these connections are very valuable. for your, for your body itself. Isolation is also associated with disrupted sleep. Insomnia affects immune function, glucose regulation, cardiovascular risk, dementia risk, mood, and daytime function. So um, when another kind of indirect effect. So when you're isolated, your sleep may get disrupted. And then if your sleep gets disrupt, 
disrupted. There's a whole plethora of research on um, the negative impacts of that. And then you talk about decreased immune function. You can't regulate your blood sugar. You, um, you're at risk of stroke, your risk of heart disease, your risk of dementia, and your mood is going to be variable and all sorts of things. So another kind of indirect effect of if you notice your sleep is more disturbed now, well, maybe that's partially due to um, the isolation that we're in. We're not able to have form these uh, close connections currently. Let's talk about cardiovascular health, uh, health of the heart. So social isolation can have direct effects on cardiovascular disease factors. Isolation and loneliness are associated with increased sympathetic nervous system activity, increased inflammation, and decreased sleep, all of which can accelerate brain and cardiovascular aging. Um, the sympathetic nervous system, that is like your fight or flight system. So when you're isolated, when you're feeling lonely, it's activating that system almost for no reason. There's no reason to, um, sympathetic nervous system, it's like uh, your fear, the fear side of your nervous system, whereas the parasympathetic nervous system is like your rest and relax. So if this fear system is always active, it's not going to be conducive to good health benefits. So, And this is what isolation can do. It can overactivate your sympathetic nervous system. It increases uh, inflammation. And, and all of these different things can accelerate cardiovascular aging. So your heart is like you're, you're gaining like an older heart, not a wiser heart, but an older one that doesn't function as well. Loneliness increases risk for dementia, likely through these same mechanisms. And social stimulation, on the other hand, can help maintain brain health. So look at the benefits of social isolation, or excuse me, social stimulation as opposed to social isolation. Researchers have found increased cholesterol in socially isolated individuals as well. These changes in, um, increase risk of heart attacks and stroke. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry to just be um, hitting you guys with all these negative effects of, of something that we can't really do anything about. But um, it was more just out of my curiosity to know what are all the impacts of all this isolation because I'm not, I'm not feeling 100% myself for a variety of reasons. So I wanted to know those reasons and hopefully you guys do too and hopefully this isn't uh, too enlightening on the negative side of it. Um, but, but we'll kind of continue with the cardiovascular uh, risks of social, social isolation. So these same researchers noted that uh, these changes in cardiovascular risk factors in isolated individuals were independent of whether they express feelings of loneliness. So this kind of gets at a very interesting um, distinction here. So even if you are isolated and, and you think you're doing okay and you don't feel lonely, well, these uh, cardiovascular risks can still be can still be present even if you perhaps feel okay and you don't report feeling lonely. So just being isolated alone is enough to cause all of these things without you consciously feeling, oh, uh, there's something called perceived social isolation. So even if you don't experience that perceived social isolation, the social isolation itself um, can create all of these risks to your cardiovascular health without you knowing it. Let's talk about the brain. This is what I'm most interested in and kind of how I'm, I was thinking about how the isolation is messing, messing with people's minds and messing with my mind for sure. In rats, episodes of social isolation can irrevoc 
irrevocably, excuse me, alter the function of the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex, among many other things, it it does it is central to managing our social relationships. Um, and in rats, episodes of social isolation can also uh, alter axon myelination. Uh, the myelin sheath around axons is the coding around them that basically allows them to transmit signals faster and more efficiently. So it is damaging, isolate, social isolation in rats at least, damages the brain itself. It damages these myelin sheaths um, and it, it alters the function of the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is very necessary for a whole host of things, including planning, um, like like I mentioned, uh, um, managing our social relationships, just really managing is, is what it does. Managing a lot of things in your life, planning your tasks, and then doing different daily things and, and so on. So when you're damaging or at least altering the function of that area, uh, it, it's not going to be good. And that's what social isolation has been found to do in rats, at least. So it, it really does make you wonder if all of this isolation could have a permanent impact on our brains. Granted, this is a study in rats, but um, could this translate to us? I mean, some because y- you go to the grocery store and are you, you go to any place that's even moderately crowded, and don't you feel a little more jumpy? Don't you feel uh, when people get near you, you're more aware of, uh, when people kind of get in your space, if you bump into someone, it's almost like you guys are like shocked and frozen or, and it's, it, it does kind of make everything feel a little bit weirder. And maybe this is because our brains are changing at least slightly with, with, with this lockdown and so on. So, um, persistent loneliness has also been found to increase the risk of Alzheimer's disease and depression in humans. So this may not be directly, um, connected to what we had mentioned before where social isolation alone is enough to have negative impacts now it's kind of another level of social isolation now it's loneliness perceived uh, reported loneliness so if you're really struggling right now uh mentally and and you are feeling lonely then yes this can uh, have even worse effects on the brain and as research shows can increase the risk of alzheimer's disease and depression Insight into the neurobiology of social isolation um, has also been derived from rigorous experiments with adult primates. So uh, let's talk about one study in monkeys that has uh, revealed a lot about um, the neurobiology of social isolation and what is happening to the brain when when an individual is isolated, or at least when a, a monkey individual is isolated. So in one study, 20 monkeys uh, were separated from others to live alone for one and a half years. And granted, that is quite a long time. And yes, this is a study in monkeys, but uh, that's what research hopes to do. We can't do an experiment like this on humans. So we um, try to find something that is close and, and hopefully are able to translate some of the findings to us so yes this was a long time but let's talk about what happened in this study so they these monkeys lived alone for one and a half years and the monkeys were then reintegrated into social groups of of four monkeys housed together repeated positron emission tomography so pet scanning just a a type of brain scanning uh, to reveal activity in the brain revealed increased levels of dopamine receptors in the basal ganglia which include key nodes of the reward circuitry after being socially housed. Uh, 
So when the uh, monkeys were in the social groups, that's when they were able to, well, not, I guess they weren't able to produce, but this is when their brains did produce uh, more dopamine receptors in the brain. And dopamine is kind of like the happiness chemical. So, or the feel good chemical, you get it when you eat, you get it uh, when you sleep, you get it when you do things that are conducive to your health and, and make you happy. You get a lot of it when exercising, those uh, results are well known. So when you're socially housed, when these monkeys were socially housed in groups, they had more receptors for happiness chemicals, so they're going to experience more positive feelings. This neurochemical adaptation in the monkey's brain circuitry was apparent after as few as three months of social rehabilitation in the once isolated monkeys. So the monkeys that were isolated, when they came back in with the group, after three months, their brain was able to uh, increase their, their dopamine receptors. And this uh, better circuitry started to show. So this reintegration kind of, um, it's, it's an insight for what may happen to us. Maybe these changes in our brain won't uh, last forever, these negative changes. Because when we get integ reintegrated into society and everyone's in groups again, maybe we will get more of those dopamine receptors again and we will start to feel better and things will get back to normal uh, starting, starting internally in each of us. Um, after reintegration, previously isolated monkeys spent more time by themselves. Um, now, this is kind of opposite to, to what I was just saying. So this, this kind of shows that even if they did get some of their receptors back in their brain, their behavior patterns may still persist even after reintegration. So let's look at us. Maybe when we get in reintegrated again and say you go to a club or a bar, no one has their mask on because even though everyone's been vaccinated, could you still be afraid? Could you still kind of be off on your own a little bit? Could you be more hesitant to join these big groups. Perhaps your behavior patterns may um, still be there, even if your, your brain and your dopamine receptors in your brain have kind of recovered in a way. Socially isolated monkeys were also significantly more willing to self-administer cocaine. And this may also relate to heightened drug abuse in lonely humans. So this is widely known. Look how kind of outcast, outcasted individuals um, or pariahs kind of turn to drugs when, when they don't have access to other ways of feeling good, for example, social connections. So um, you can even think back to the liquor stores. Look at how the liquor stores were so busy right when lockdowns started. Is this a coincidence? Maybe not. Maybe it is the case that people, when they don't have these social connections, which do create a lot of positive feelings, they turn to other things to get those positive feelings. Uh, and this, I don't think is a coincidence at all. And research does show in the monkeys that when they were isolated, they uh, were more willing to self-administer cocaine. Molecular imaging evidence shows that changing from social deprivation to an environment with constant social stimulation causes neural remodeling in the dopaminergic neurotransmitter pathways in non-human primates. And this may be clinically relevant for substance abuse disorders in humans. So this is just to say that you can be rehabilitated um, through social connections. So even though the isolated monkeys were more likely to self-administer self -administer cocaine, 
um, going from that social deprivation to an environment with more social stimulation um, did cause that remodeling of of the the dopamine receptors in the brain. So this made them less likely to want to self-administer cocaine because now they're getting more dopamine without without the drugs. So this kind of um, provides an insight for rehabilitation in humans. For example, if you are, you can be rehabilitated um, through social connections. If you are an outcast and say there is an individual who is addicted to drugs and they are on their own and maybe they are administering those drugs because they don't have any other ways to feel pleasure. Well, if you reintegrate those people and you really focus um, on creating a, a group for those people and lots of foundations do this, but if, if there, if this could maybe be more widespread in society where we really look at these individuals and try to reintegrate them and, and create social connections, maybe with other individuals who have faced similar problems, then this changes their brain for the better. And this reorganizes their brain. It refreshes their, um, their dopamine receptors, like we saw in the monkeys that were reintegrated. So these, this is how research provides these insights for how we can change society for the better. Let's talk about uh, DNA, the influence socialization, social isolation has on DNA. We talked about some of these things in the epigenetics episode where your DNA can be modulated based on things that happen in the environment. Um, growing up in an orphanage has been shown to exacerbate the decay of telomeres and cell nuclei. So growing up in an orphanage, the idea is that there aren't enough social connections. There's perhaps more isolation. There's not enough social stimulation. There's not enough care. And this may not be on, only social isolation that is um, causing these issues in, in uh, these orphaned kids, but it, it could be one of the factors that's happening in an orphanage. Um, telomeres, so what, what's so bad about telomere decay? Well, telomeres are basically protection caps that normally prevent chromosome deterioration. So without your telomeres, you're not, your chromosomes are going to deteriorate. And your chromosomes, if they deteriorate, that's like um, it was put in this article, like the cellular sand clock of aging. So once your chromosomes deteriorate, there's nothing you can do. Your life is lost. That is that whole chromosomes hold DNA, the genetic, the code for life. When you lose the code for life, you're not going to be alive anymore. So if your telomeres are shortening, you can't protect your chromosomes. Um, telomere shortening has major consequences for various biological pathways and health outcomes. So in longevity research, you see, this is really what you see. You see researchers trying to slow down or even stop telomere um, deterioration because if you can stop that your chromosomes are not going to deteriorate at all and people think that they can make people live forever if they find a way to stop the deterioration of telomeres that's kind of a whole other thing of, of aging research and there's a book why we age and why we don't have to kind of a suggestive title by david sinclair uh, he's a researcher who does work on this and um but, but yeah that's that's kind of we're kind of getting sidetracked but either way the point is that um social isolation and, and related things can mess with your dna itself the code for for your own life so there are a lot of 
um, unfortunately, negative consequences of this. Let's finish off with just a few things here, more to do with um, kind of the mind and, and what's happening there. So let's talk about what's happening with cognitive function. So you're, you're thinking um, during social isolation. So one 2013 study measured cognitive function at two time points in a cohort of more than 6,000 older individuals. People who reported having fewer social contacts and activities at the beginning of the study showed greater decline in cognitive function as measured by verbal fluency and memory recall tasks. So um, I've talked to people who have kind of been, and I've experienced this too, where it almost seems like not that you're losing your mind, but that you're not able to, you're not as sharp. You can't remember things as well. And, and, we kind of just write it off and say, oh, uh, it's weird times. That must be why. But yes, that maybe is why. And all this isolation, it does mess with how sharp you are and things like this. It's a very weird time. And these studies are showing that your, your, your thinking capacity is changing. Um, more recent studies have added weight to this association of um, people reporting who report fewer social contacts. Um, have a decline in cognitive function. So a 2019 study of more than 11,000 people found that individuals who reported higher than average social isolation experienced above average decline in memory function within two years of being surveyed. So this could be exactly what's happening when you feel like you can't, rem you're not as sharp. You can't remember that thing that you, or uh, you don't have a memory in a, in a situation where you maybe would have had, if we weren't in this pandemic and we weren't isolated and we weren't in these weird times, well, yes, maybe it is because of social isolation. Um, let's talk about when we're perceiving people as well, wearing masks and when their facial expression is hidden. So I don't know if you guys feel this way as well, but it, it is kind of, odd interacting with people when their face is hidden behind a mask because a smile it it does really speak speak a lot and it does kind of uh create a bond with with you and whoever you're smiling with and when you can't see that it is difficult to interact with them and to have positive interaction because a smile is almost like a sign of positive interaction and research does show this faces offer a plethora of social information about the emotional expressions of an individual and potentially about their intentions and mental state. And all of these things influence the strength and the bond between two individuals. So when you can't see their smile, this isn't, I guess, fully related to social isolation, but um, kind of just, just with the masks and, and so on. It's when you can't see people smile, um, it is difficult because you can't form that close bond like, like research is showing. So, that is very difficult as well. What I've found and what we've kind of touched on in this episode is hypersensitivity to threat. So notice how when you kind of, as I mentioned, like when you go to a crowded place, you, you, you feel like there are more threats around you almost. If you bump into someone, I was in the grocery store and uh, I was just walking like I was going through the aisle and I, and I got to the end of the aisle and someone, I, I basically just almost T-boned someone uh, with my cart in a way, but we, it wasn't quite like she almost like bumped into the left side of me. And we, you just feel so jumpy when you get that close to someone now. And we both like kind of jumped and perhaps it was because it was like a sudden encounter and maybe we would have both been 
uh, a bit jumpy, even if we weren't in these times. But the very fact that you, you don't get that close to people makes you a little bit more almost aware. You feel like more threatened in a way. And this is what research does show. Um, research shows that social isolation makes you feel this way. Prolonged social isolation leads to a broad array of behavioral changes in mice. And these uh, induce increased aggressiveness towards unfamiliar mice, persistent fear, and hypersensitivity to threatening stimuli. For example, when encountering a threatening stimulus, Mice have been socially, who have been socially isolated remain frozen in place long after the threat has passed, whereas normal mice stop freezing as soon as the threat is removed. So this is kind of, I was kind of like that mouse in the store when, when I bumped into the lady and we both were, we were both kind of like the, the mice who had been socially isolated for so long. And it, we were like, we both kind of like froze in fear, like, like for no, well, I guess not for no reason, but we both kind of froze for so long. Whereas if we weren't in the situation, we would have maybe laughed it off or something. Now our eyes both became wide and we were like, we said sorry and whatnot, but it wasn't this, we couldn't laugh it off like maybe we could before. And this is perhaps due to this increased threat perception due to all of this social isolation. Um, let's finish it off with, with the, the virtual versus in-person connection. And if, um, if virtual connecting like over Zoom and over Skype and FaceTime is just as good as face-to-face -face interaction. There actually isn't much research on this. I did find um, one small thing though, that, that studies have revealed that different methods of contact are not equal in reducing feelings of loneliness and depression. So Studies found a higher risk of depression in individuals with less than once a month face-to-face -face contact with children, family, or friends. Uh, and people with once or twice a week contact showed to have the lowest race, rates of depression. So, But they did not find this when it was um, twice a week contact over the screen, only in person. So there may be something to this in-person connection that we can't quite replicate over the screen. Now... It has been shown, though, that interventions relying on technology to reduce isolation are better than no intervention at all. So if you can't see your friends, um, it is worth it to do the Zoom, do, do the Zoom meeting, see your friends, uh, because it is better than, than not seeing their face at all. But it is it doesn't seem to be that it is this it doesn't have quite the same effect as in-person interaction. Um, the question really becomes, you guys, are we ever going to uh, get back to the way things were? Is Are we ever going to be the same? And um, I don't know. And that's part of the reason why I want to do this episode. It, uh, I didn't really want to discuss issues to do with the pandemic. I haven't yet. Um, but you know what? Some of these things, that's the way this podcast has been operating since day one. Whatever strikes me during the week, that's what I... Uh, work on <laughs> over the weekend and, and produce the episode, whatever um, interests me. And this has been weighing on me. And I was, I saw, I met some new people, but I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even see them smile and they couldn't see me smile when I was meeting them. And that was hard on me. And it just, uh, I think it's been hard on everyone and it's weighing on everyone. So I thought it was important to touch on it today. I hope you guys, uh, well, I guess you guys are listening now and you're still listening. Um, 
so i guess you guys found it interesting enough as well and if it's been weighing on you guys then uh um then i feel you we're all going through it all around the world listeners all around the world uh, we're all experiencing it differently but hopefully things will be the same again one day and uh, hopefully these things don't have permanent uh, impacts on the way we interact with people I'm, I'm sure it will persist for quite a while though after our threat perceptions may still be increased and um, we may be a little uncomfortable around people at first i think but i think over time kind of like the research shows with uh, over time the dopamine receptors they'll recover and our brains will recover and our behavioral patterns will, will hopefully recover to you guys so Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You guys, um, you guys are the best. I'm going from topic to topic all over the place. Every week is a totally different thing. And there are still consistent listeners who, who tune in. And, uh, I don't know why, but I just thank you guys. Cause I like doing it. And I've always said, I'm just going to keep doing it regardless of whether we have listeners, but just the fact that we do is, um, I am very grateful for that. There's so many things to be grateful for, but that is definitely one of them, you guys. If you did like this episode, uh, just know we're growing our community through word of mouth, as I always say. So just share it with one or two people who are also, uh, maybe you've talked about who are being impacted by uh, all of these issues right now with all the isolation. I know I can't wait to see my friends again in person. Um, please subscribe or follow and leave a star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or a like on YouTube. Please share your ideas through the YouTube comments section, the connect page on the website, or through social media. Check out the blog posts on the website. And for show notes and our, for access to our monthly ITP video conference call, you can support the podcast on Patreon. Whatever you guys do to support, listening and watching is always plenty. Uh, thank you guys a million for listening to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. We'll be back on Monday as always, and hopefully not, not so late next Monday, um, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.